0: Welcome to We Built This Life. I'm your host, Jennifer Walker, and this is the podcast that mainly tells stories about entrepreneurs and small business owners and how they built their working lives from the ground up. This is episode 22, which will focus on Aaron Dante, the host and executive producer of the award-winning No Picks After Dark podcast based in Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you so much for listening today. Hi, welcome to episode 22. I am really excited about this episode. Aaron Dante is like the podcast king in Baltimore, I would say. I feel like when you're talking about Baltimore podcasts, his is the name that you hear. His show, No Picks After Dark, focuses on telling positive stories, mainly out of Baltimore, but I know his audience also extends to D.C., California, New York, and more. He has 189 episodes as of the time I'm recording this intro. 189 episodes, and that is just since 2019. That's when he started his podcast. Which I can tell you is amazing to reach that number in three and a half years. He has accomplished a lot more than that, though. He is also a three time winner for Best Podcast in the Baltimore Suns Reader's Choice Awards, and he has sponsors. You'll hear me say this on this episode when I'm talking to Aaron during our conversation, but I feel like this is a big thing for podcasters when you can get a sponsor. And Aaron has seven of them, most if not all of which are based in Baltimore. If you're local to Baltimore, you'll recognize a lot of these names. Zeke's Coffee, The Found Studio Shop, Maggie's Farm. That's a great restaurant. I've been there a couple times. Charm City Craft Mafia, which was his first sponsor. Open Works Baltimore, Baltimore Fiscal Partners, and CNLA Custom Websites. Aaron also records live shows throughout Baltimore. I believe he has recorded at Unioncraft Brewing, at Guinness Open Gate Brewery, and most recently, and you'll hear us talk about this at the beginning of the episode, he was the official podcaster for AFRAM, which is a two-day African-American arts and culture festival that's held in June in Baltimore. Its website says that it draws 100,000 visitors a year, so it's a big event. I saw a video of Aaron on site there interviewing guests. He had a banner behind him listing his, his sponsors. It looked like a really awesome professional setup and he was talking to a lot of people that day it looked like he had quite a few conversations so you'll get to hear him talking about that experience and finally Aaron also has some corporate partners the one that comes to my mind is Visit Baltimore he did a four-part series with them so four episodes to celebrate National Travel and Tourism Week And he had guests from the Maryland Zoo, the Wine Collective, Hotel Revival. I was just reading about Hotel Revival recently, and it sounds like a really amazing concept. And then Creole Soul, which is a restaurant that offers New Orleans-inspired soul food at Our House, a food hall in Baltimore that's located in the Remington neighborhood. So I tell you all this just to show how much Aaron has accomplished through podcasting. And I know a lot of people in the world have podcasts, so it's kind of to show what is possible that you can achieve big things through your show. But Aaron has also put in the work, right? Almost 200 episodes in three and a half years means he is putting in the time to be consistent and to create an amazing show for his community. So, in this episode, Aaron will talk about how No Picks After Dark came to be, of course, the process behind how he puts his episodes together, which is really interesting to hear. We'll talk about time management. So Aaron also has a day job and he has two young kids. So he will talk about making time for the show and about boundaries. He'll talk about getting that first sponsor, the episodes he's done that have had the biggest impact on him, what is coming up next for the No Picks After Dark podcast. I hesitate to say this a little bit because I don't know if his merchandise is still going to be available when this episode goes live, but right now he is selling t-shirts on his website to celebrate his third Reader's Choice Award with the Baltimore Sun in three years. So three consecutive awards for best podcast. So I will link to those t-shirts in the show notes if they are still available. And I have one of his t-shirts that he sold in a previous run. They're really nice and soft and a great quality. I also want to share a little bit about the evolution of No Pics After Dark, which I think is really interesting. From what I can tell, when he first started out, he had guests on who showcased all the personal stories that people have that never get told. So I listened to one episode that is going way back to episode two, where his friend Emily was talking about her multiple sclerosis diagnosis. Episode five was about a woman who was dating in her 50s. So it was focused on these really great stories that often don't have an outlet that can be really helpful to other people. And then you'll hear Aaron talk on this episode about how his podcast focus shifted to Baltimore, to focusing on the people and the stories in Baltimore. And also, it seems to be maybe a little bit of a, more of a focus on career. Today, he interviews some big names who have had a lot of professional success. He's had Mayor Brandon Scott on the show, the mayor of Baltimore City, Justin Fenton, the reporter who wrote We Own the City, which is now a series on HBO. Most recently, he also had several political candidates on the show. Episode 187 is with Brooke Learman, who is a candidate for Maryland Comptroller. I saw he was talking to Wes Moore at AFRAM, a candidate for Maryland governor. He just has a lot of really interesting guests. Lista Snowden, he helped to during AFRAM. She's the editor-in-chief of the Baltimore Beat, which is a Black-led, Black-controlled nonprofit newspaper and media outlet. I really want to find this spot somewhere and listen to it when, where Aaron talked to her. And Aaron runs this podcast and everything that comes with it, like his social media, he runs it like a business. I went back and listened to Aaron's first episode and he was saying that he had something like 30 episodes recorded before he officially launched his podcast. That tells me that he was serious about podcasting from the beginning, from even before he had released his first show. So I think that's important to know that going into this episode, that he does view his podcast like a business. I think that is enough background to inform your listening today. So... Without further ado, let's get into episode 22 with Aaron Dante from No Picks After Dark. So it seems fitting to begin Aaron Dante's story with one of his most recent accomplishments that shows how far he has come with podcasting in just three and a half years. So on the weekend of June 18th, 19th, so just last month, he was the featured podcaster for AFRAM in Baltimore, the African American Arts and Culture Festival, Their website says that this festival draws 100,000 people over this weekend once a year. And Aaron had a booth set up there with a background, he had a banner behind him that listed all of his sponsors. And from an Instagram video that he shared online, it looked to me like he was talking to just guest after guest after guest. From candidates for Maryland governor and other political candidates, to big names in media, to chefs and more. So Aaron's participation in AFRAM really shows how far he has come. And then we're going to dial it back and talk a little bit about how he got there with No Picks After Dark.
1: What an experience. I had worked with AFRAM last year doing a media segment about food, people, different people, different people in the media and whatnot. And they called and said, hey, do you want to do a podcast at AFRAM? Started to have a conversation back in January of this year. And they didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what it looked like, you know. But we are like, let's try to figure out and make this happen. And over this whole process of going back and forth with questions, meetings with Baltimore Park and Recs, I had to keep it secret for a long time. And we made it happen. I'm blessed to have sponsors who were behind me and said, hey, can we be a part of this? Let's not burden you with the cost of getting a step and a repeat. Let's not burden you with the cost of getting banners, a thing is that nature. And that's where it really came in. I really appreciate them. And it was a great festival. I had the opportunity to talk with so many amazing people at this festival. It was a great time. It's a free festival. You had Neo sung for an hour. It was amazing. The OJs, Old Motown, Eld Barge. It was just really, really powerful. And it's free. I had so many amazing vendors. The food was delicious. They had a kids area that was huge. They had a local musician area that was huge. It was just really good. I mean, it felt like a huge family reunion, and I just really was happy to be a part of something like that. And I hope that we can continue this relationship and do it again next year and make it bigger and include more podcasts in the Baltimore area. That is really my goal for next year, to do something like that with AFRA, and hopefully we can do that.
0: Yeah, and to continue to grow. That would be great. Who did you talk to this weekend, and how many interviews did you do? It looked like you were talking to a lot of people, just one after the other.
1: Wow. What a power pack list of people, of community leaders, uh, people in the community of Lisa Snowden, who is the editor-in-chief for Baltimore Beat, an African-American newspaper that's coming out. She tells an amazing story about the Baltimore Beat and how she got started again. We also had a guy by the name of Zeke. He owns a company called Event for Good People. His thought was, I used to go to parties. We have to go to D.C. to go out for nightlife. Why can't we create a nightlife in Baltimore so we can have a grown and sexy or whatever it may be place to go and people can dress up and look good and feel good and be happy? And that was amazing. Speaking with him about that. Chef Seon Bryce from Black Swan was there. He talked about Black Swan, talked about how he performed after him as him at a young age, which was amazing. I didn't know that. Black Swan is one of the hippest, coolest restaurants in the city, Baltimore City right now. Morgan from Union Collective Brewery the events coordinator. She does a lot of amazing events for the community, and she was talking about the things the Union does, and they're a great partner of No Picks Dark podcast because they're always like, hey, if you want to do a show here, no question, come over here, let's make it happen. That was just some of them. There were some political people there also, and then we had people from community, Paris Gray from District 8, Councilman Christopher, and he does Community Liaison, he does Amazing work in community. Ashley Esposito, who was a Weaver recipient, basically somebody who does a lot of amazing community service. She's up for a school board election for the Baltimore School Board. There's so many amazing people that I don't want to shortchange them, but they know who they are. And I loved every moment of it. And it was great to meet new fans, people that I never met. The most fascinating thing was people to walk up to me and say, we love your show. Keep on doing it. And I had no idea who they were. And that was what it's all about. People knowing they're like, we, this episode, they're telling me episodes and, you know, I have over 186. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, (laughs) but it's just their favorite episode. So being in that atmosphere, it heightened just my awareness of the impact I'm making in Baltimore area. And that while there is a need for what I'm doing out there.
0: Yes. Yes. That must be really exciting to meet people and hear that they're listening to what you put out there. They're connecting to it.
1: Yes, it's an amazing feeling and, uh, you know, it's a blessing just to be a part of something like that. And now doing it this year and talking with the officials, we know we can do next year and do a little bit, you know, improve each year. So hopefully we can do something really great. And, you know, these are the type of things where arts can do be the same thing. There's so much talent in the podcast space in Baltimore, like yourself. You have a great podcast. I'm very excited and honored to be on your show. So thank you so much.
0: That is so kind. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I am so excited to have you here. And before we dive into talking more about your podcast, because I really want to hear more about how No Picks After Dark came to be, I'd love to hear more about you. And I have a little story to go along with this. About a year ago, I listened to an interview you did. I think it was called The More You Grow Podcast. The name might have changed now, but it was a great episode. And you mentioned on it that you're a very social person, but a very private person. And that stuck out to me because I'm the exact opposite of that. But also because I was thinking, yeah, I I listen to your podcast, you're active on social media, I see you post there, but I guess I don't know maybe as much about your background. So I'd love to hear, like, where'd you grow up? What's your career background? Were you interested in storytelling as a kid? Just whatever you're willing to share up until you started the No Picks After Dark podcast, I think in 2019. Is that right?
1: Yes, ma'am. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I am totally that way. I'm very private for a reason. There is the business, there's a brand of No Picks. And then I have kids, I have a family. And those are the type of things where you want to separate them quickly. People have said, put your kids on social media and you'll get the hundred likes. And it's like, no, I'm not selling my kids out down the river for some no picks. You know, you, there's things you hear all the time. A little bit about me. Wow. I don't really get into a lot about me. So it's kind of refreshing to talk a little bit about me. Cause I talk <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: always talking to other people. Yeah,
1: yeah. So well, I'm gonna give you an exclusive right now. I'm actually starting a Patreon page that's gonna be more about me anything else
0: that's amazing
1: i've had over 100 requests of people ask me we want to know more about you so you it's a fascinating question that you said you brought because that's what i'm working on behind the scenes now is a patreon page of me really being unscripted just being who i am so that's another side that you'll see of me which i'm very excited to show people but get a little bit about me you know i'm originally from baltimore maryland and i moved away at a younger age to Ohio, Youngstown, ohio my dad had jobs that put him in different places and whatnot. And he wasn't in the military, nothing like that, but just different places. And he was doing things that people weren't doing back in the day that I didn't know many black people did, like just hopping from job to job, going different states, moving to the family. And that really shaped me. My dad had eight brothers and three sisters. And one thing was really big to me is family and storytelling. My uncles could tell you the most amazing story and it could be a total lie, but Everybody would sit there and be like, just sitting there waiting for the the next word coming out their mouths. And I grew up in that culture of storytelling. So you didn't know you had it until you start doing it. And it was already taught year in, year out. We moved to Ohio. Then we left there and went to Dallas, Texas, live in Dallas, Texas, where when people say, how are you a Cowboys fan? I live there. So, (laughs) and then from there, I moved to Syracuse, New York, and I ended up going to college there, got out of college, moved to Jersey lived on Jersey Shore two or three years with my job. And then my job brought me back down to Baltimore and I've lived here since. And I like my job, I was traveling for my job and I lived in Virginia for like two and a half, three years out of a hotel. All these things have just built stories of what I've done and things I've seen. To connect the No Picture of Dark podcast, here's the connection. So, and when I got out of college, I'm going to tell my age right now, was 2003, and what happened was we used to throw a party called the end of summer party and that was like you know all of my college friends from syracuse friends from colorado miami different colleges would all meet up in new york city and we would just go full blast because we were young we didn't know and we were just like let's just have a good time see each other and just have a great weekend i was one of the leaders of this party so it was three of us and it was basically a theme on let's all hang out for a weekend because we miss each other and let's do something like that so it'd be like a girls weekend guys weekend but it'd be like we all are joining together again. I would have people fly in from New York, LA, Miami, upstate New York. And then what happened, it got bigger because they invited their friends. They invited their friends. And it just, I mean, one year we had close to a thousand people and it wasn't really a family affair. My parents would come over. My dad would be so happy to hang out and cook on the grill all day. It was just a really great feeling seeing so many amazing people. And we had New York for four years. We had one year on Jersey Shore. We had one year in Philadelphia, and then the rest of the years were in Baltimore City. And we came up with the name. Something happened, and I was like, well, let's just do a thing where it's No Picks After Dark. That's a theme every year. It's the party. That party went on for 10 years straight, and that's where the audience came. The audience was already built. It would just change the name over to The podcast." So when I announced that I was doing a podcast and that was the name of it, I had probably over like fifteen text messages within the first five minutes. Like, you're not going to tell the stories that happened when we did. <laughs> like, no, nah, it's not those podcasts. And so now it was just more so for my son, I want my son to remember his dad as some amazing people that he has known in his life, people that his dad known that went through trials and tribulations. And I wanted so if he's ever down at that point, he can turn to and say, "Wow, dad knew some amazing people." It started that way and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. You know, I just went out and bought $700 worth of stuff and just like, it us make it work. In the beginning, I could tell you, I lost a lot of money because I had a guy who I met at a retail store who said he knows how to mix and stuff like that. And he's a DJ and stuff like, and it was cool, but I lost a lot of money because he really didn't care about my podcast. He just cleaned it up a little bit and that was it, but he didn't really do what I really wanted to do. And one day, if you know about Syracuse University, it has a really good school for broadcast journalism and media. And I had a friend, her name's Stephanie, said, let me sit your butt down and you're going to sit here for two hours and we're going to go over Adobe, everything for Adobe. So you understand how to edit. So you're not losing any more money from this. And thankful for for that. That's where it came from. me learned how to edit, learning how to the sound. And it built from there. And the first year was just great. I, I traveled, I was on vacation, went out to LA, did some recordings. One of the people who were was a producer for the movie bridesmaids a lot of people don't know that if you go back and listen to the story she talks about that one guy who's really big in Gate studios he's on the show that has done several movies and a lot of people don't know that and that's the funny part when i go back i'm like i mean it's there people just find, find those episodes and then what happened was i was going to a couple of community events and people were asking me hey you're the podcast guy can you get us on your show We really want to help help us out help us out so I was like, all right, I'll get around to it. Let's figure this out. And from that on, I just took off in Baltimore. It took off and people in my neighborhood knew about me. But a lot of people didn't know me outside my neighborhood. Then that's when the pandemic happened in 2020. And it was such ironic. I had my friend help me build a website. She built the website, Sienna. And she was like, let's drop it in March or April or whatever. And the pandemic happened in March. And literally we dropped the website like the week of the pandemic when everybody was home. And it was just perfect timing for everything. And the running joke is, for the first Best of Baltimore, the Baltimore Sun, my coworkers, where I work at full-time, as a joke. They're like, oh, let's put you in for a nomination for Best of Baltimore for uh, Baltimore Sun for a podcast. It started as a running joke, and (laughs) it's morphed into something else. So here we are now.
0: I love that your parents were a part of that original party that led to the podcast, and you must have met so many great people who have so many stories to share as part of that.
1: I mean, there's so many amazing stories. I mean, you can go so many different routes. So, and that would be part of the Patreon thing. I'll be talking about some of those stories because some are pretty personal, some of them are pretty wild. And I think if you're going to pay $4.99 or whatever a month, you can get a right to hear some of the stuff that you want to hear, you know, and it'll be fun. I've
0: heard people say that about Patreon because it makes it a smaller community and that they trust it a little bit more to share some of those more private stories that maybe you don't want to put on Instagram or your podcast where anybody could hear them.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I I always tell people I can't stay on social media. Before I was on this podcast, I was off Facebook for five or six years. It's too much work. It's like a full time job. (laughs) So, So it goes back to your point. You're like, I'm a public but private person. That's that, 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 there. There, you, there, you go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tell me about your first episode. What you were thinking? What you were feeling? What you were talking about? I listened to it, and I think it was sort of a, an intro episode, telling what you had coming up for the show. But how were you feeling putting it out there?
1: So the intro episode was with one of my good friends, Gara Arua. I've known him since 1999, actually, from Syracuse. So it was easy, like having a conversation. He was a broadcast journalist major. He's worked on major like campaigns and stuff like that. So. Having him do the intro interview with me was a natural fit. You know, I didn't know where this was going. I just wanted to tell people about a little bit about me and a little bit about where I was going. And you think you know where you're going, but you really don't know where you're going at that point. And I remember just talking, just, just saying, like, I'm excited to tell positive stories about people what people are going on. And at that point, it was not for Baltimore. That was not for Baltimore at all. This podcast is for more of us, my college friends and friends and associates that I know new so it was going to be a really small niche podcast it wasn't going to be how big it is as it's gotten now so that's why you just never know when you start it and where you are at this moment some people say i want to talk about this this is my show hey good for you do that for me i just was like you know what let's just ride it with the wave and see where it takes us and you know i never thought i would be talking about baltimore i never did and here we are now so that that's kind of gives you a little background the first episode and then how it is into something else that. I didn't fight. A lot of people fight. A lot of, a lot of podcasters fight. That is, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do but That's their prerogative. I just want to see where it goes, and it's gone to a great place.
0: Do you remember when that shift happened, that you it started to be more Baltimore-focused? Was it when you, know, you started running into people, and they were asking to be on your show, and it kind of built from there?
1: Yeah, so what happened was I uh, came back from California. I remember this. And I did some tapings out in California. I mean, if I look listen to all the recordings, They're horrible. I don't like, (laughs) they're horrible to listen to.
0: I can't even listen to my first episode.
1: Yeah, I can't even listen to them. Like, I just like, uh, it sounded like that. But, I remember when I came back and I was only for like a week vacation and I had people reach out and say, hey, we have businesses here in Northeast Baltimore. And I was like, yeah, 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 you know, cool. And, yeah, remember this is 2019. People still didn't even know what podcasts were in 2019. And it's crazy when you think about it and they really didn't know. You're like, are you on the radio? What what station are you on? And so it was basically re-educating the public and people of your listeners are like, this is what I do. This is is the app you can find me on. And in the beginning, what I did was doing, I was putting all my episodes on Facebook because I was like, I need people to find me. Like a lot of people were not technology savvy. So I was like, but they all have Facebook. So I posted them on Facebook because it was an easy way to get access to people. And then what happened was the Hamilton Laureville Business Association reached out to, hey, come on, like we really need local places. And I remember uh, my first local interview was, well, I had some other local interviews, but they were friends. But first business was Sugar, and it's an uh, adult store in Hamden. And I remember I interviewed with Jack, who's the owner, and she was awesome. She's like, you have something. And then after that, I interviewed with a comedian named Abby Mello. So we and her go way back. We do a lot of work together. And I did that with her. And then I did anointing with Megan Knight, who is the anchor for WMAR TV, The Morning Show. She and her friend, Siobhan, who is a producer for WMAR, they both came on my show. So that's when hyper local started happening. And it was really a good fit. And then people were like, oh, can we do this? Can we do this? And at that point, I was like, all right, where is this going? This wasn't, this wasn't my vision. But I said, how can I expand my audience? You know, they say you do the same way over and over again. And expect different results. And I was like, let's try something new, open my horizon, open my brain, and figure things out. And when I started opening them up to different people, the Baltimore audience got bigger and bigger. For a while, my biggest audience when I first started was only, it was like New York, PA, Jersey, and California. And then Baltimore came along midway through 2019.
0: So what about challenges along the way? I'd love to hear about that. Were there any big challenges that you experienced that maybe felt like roadblocks, made you think you weren't sure about the direction of the podcast, continuing with, with the podcast, anything like that that maybe came up for you? And maybe not.
1: No, no, they, they do. They do. Like I said, I'll go a in more in-depth, different place. But to give you a, like a high overview, you know how you do your podcast and you think, wow, this is an amazing episode. Like I'm blown away by this episode and then it doesn't do as well as you think it does and it's disappointing cuz in your mind it's an amazing episode but it's kind of like if i like apples you like oranges and some other person likes grapes we don't all have the same taste so you have to learn those balances of like all right episode i think is amazing may not be amazing now but somebody else might catch on later on you see people celebrating on social media i have 10,000 downloads i have 5,000 downloads you know and You're like, what am I doing, bro? That's a mental warfare you're having with yourself. Because then you look at Instagram, social media, and they have 500 likes. Oh my goodness. Why don't I have only 10 likes? Those are things that mentally, I mean, you're getting, this is exclusive information on you right now. So (laughs) (laughs) I, I never talk like this, but I'm talking freely. These are things that mentally, that you mentally, I mentally went through and I wanted to give up because I was like, I don't know who's listening. And then one day, I remember a listener reached out to me. She said, "Aaron, I was listening to your episode in my car. And my daughter, I'm dropping her off at a, some type of a social event, stayed in the car to listen to it because she liked hearing what you're talking about. And this is a high schooler and it's a teenager. And when I heard that, it changed me so much that it was like people are listening. You just don't know who they are. And you're making an impact. You just don't know it. You know, we want to see it in the flesh. We want to see it live in real time. And when that happened, it really changed my perspective on a lot of different things. And recentered me and said, all right, let's 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 do it. Because I wasn't going to quit this thing. And I'm glad I didn't. Yeah.
0: How many episodes in were you at that point?
1: You know, it's called the six month. There's a word for it. I should Google it right now. But it's called the something six month podcast thing where you knock it out for six months. And then all of a sudden, you're not feeling like you're getting what you're getting out of it. And then people just, it's a wall and you stop. Most podcasts don't laugh after six or eight months. They don't. And that's unfortunate, but I felt that and I was ready to give it all up. Because again, it's we're in a society where it's for gratification. You have social media, you have all that. You see it right away. And when you don't see it in podcasting, it's different. I'll give an example. Some of my episodes have gone viral after seven months later. <laughs> You know, but that's how it works though. Like I worked with a corporate, I worked with several corporations, as you know, and they went, what's your numbers right away, What's your numbers right away? And it's like, I've learned to say, you can't go off the first day. You can't go off the first week. I have people who are a week behind on episodes. I have some people who are a month behind. I have some people who binge episodes one day out of the month. You just can't go off that. It takes a while to figure out where you are. Now, some episodes, they take off right away as soon as it happens, but others take a while and people are like, oh my goodness, this is the best episode. I've never heard this episode. This is amazing. You know? So you have to learn to be patient with this and take your time and be humble. And because podcasts will humble you real quick because you're getting the listeners are listeners. So they can listen when they're, and that's what podcasting is about listen when you want to. There's no time, there's no round of reason, just whenever I want to. So that's, that's one of the big things that's has humbled me a lot about doing podcasting.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. All of the mental challenges with the views, the social media likes, not letting that get into your head, the comparison, they're all very real challenges that can stop you from like pushing forward. I'm so glad to hear that you found a way to push through because now we have all these amazing episodes to listen to. And what an experience with the teenager in that car who stayed to listen to your episode, like hearing that kind of positive feedback really does keep you going, I think.
1: It really does. It pushes me to a next level where you just say, you know what, like, let's make it happen. And that's what it's all about. Again, you see other people doing things and I've learned to just cheer on people. They want help. They want to help. If not, no worries. And everybody has different ways of doing different things. And again, theme that I've always heard from podcasters, hey, I want to start a podcast. I want to do it my way. Okay do it your way. I'm not going to, you know, that's why you did it. You can do whatever you want to do. I'm learning how corporate America likes to do things. <laughs> so, so if you want to do it your way, corporate America's not the money that you, the, you know, everybody has this myth of being Joe Rogan or, or whomever else out in that podcast sphere. And they don't realize Joe Rogan has been around. He was like one of the beginners of podcasting and those people are just anomalies and like, I've only been in it for four years. It's a blessing that I've gotten to where I've gotten right now. And it's crazy that I'm doing what I'm doing and enjoying it. And, you know, you need to take breaks. You need to stop. Like, you took a nice little break.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: You know, I remember reading what you said. And, like, I'm coming up on a break July and August. I mean, I have episode. I have enough episodes right now that will push me into September. <laughs> so when people ask me to come on the show, I'm like, yeah, you might not come out until, like, October, November. That's how far out. And the reason why you do things like that is because you can't predict life. And life happens. A lot of things do happen. So again, I'm taking a break in July, August. And episodes will still come out, but I won't be recording anything.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you're taking a break because I don't think people realize how much work goes into podcasting. And you're putting out an episode a week. I mean, I'm doing podcasts over here. I know how much work goes into that. That's amazing that you have done an episode a week for so long.
1: It's hard. You know that. You know you're frustrated. Sound might not have come out right there might've been something off about it. And you're like, oh, why well, didn't do that? You know, so.
0: So I want to talk about how you fit all of this in, right? You have 186 episodes over the course of, I guess, three years, 2019 to 2022. And you're working full-time. You have kids, two kids, right? Who are young.
1: Two kids young, yeah.
0: Yeah. So how how do you fit this in? How much time are you devoting to your podcast every week? How do you compartmentalize everything to stay consistent and to get out of episode a week.
1: I will tell you, you know what? I will tell you, thank God for the pandemic. It sounds crazy what I'm saying. Thank God for the pandemic, but the pandemic really helped out in more ways than you think because people still, they didn't move. They didn't do anything. And when I was working from home, I had time. You think about all the stuff that you got, that you have to do podcasting. I'm home working from home. So it's not like oh I'm on my lunch break I can go on my I can go online I can take a ten minute break I can work on my podcast during a time period but I'm home I'm not driving nowhere I'm not going anywhere because I have a studio now I have a studio now but I'm not going nowhere and then thank goodness for Zencaster and StreamYard and Zoom and all that stuff because you could communicate with people much easier without going to see them in person so all those things factor in so during the pandemic was much easier. Because you can get a hold of people and people weren't going anywhere. So that was easier. When coming out of the pandemic, I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but coming out of it a little bit here and there, it's a lot harder now. I can tell you, it's a lot harder. I don't record on the weekends. I spend time with my family. When I get home from work, when I'm with my kids, I pick my kids up from school at 4.35 o'clock, whatever, daycare. From 4.30, whatever, until 7.30 when they go to bed, there is no podcast. I do not touch it. I don't bother it. Don't email me. Don't text me. I'm not responding because these are my kids' time. When they go to bed at night, that's when the real work starts. I might go to my studio because it's peaceful there. I get my creative juices going, and I'll do some stuff like that. And I'll go and do some recordings, or I'll tell people they come through. The certain days that I will do recordings on at evenings, and I can do it. but I just it's all about the boundaries and when you can and you can't. I'm not doing a recording- Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's not happening. That's the front of my work week. I'm not doing it. Maybe Monday and Friday I will do, but I won't do it after five o'clock on Friday. So there's a lot of things that I have stipulations, but people work around your schedule and they know how I work and they wait for it. So my kid's time is my kid's time. Like today, I really want to be on your show. I'm off today. My kid's home. I'm going to go play with him the rest of the day and we're going to hang out and enjoy Juneteenth and just enjoy just family time. And that's what I, that's what I'll do, but nothing else. Like I, I won't do anything else when on the weekend, definitely boundaries. But again, to your point, I make time. I figure out time to do it. I arrange my schedule where, all right, seven o'clock. I'm ready to interview. Let's go seven, eight. That's what time I have an rigid schedule. That's what time I normally do. Or if I don't have to pick my kids up from school, then I'm like, all right, five thirty, six thirty, 6 30 or 4, 435 30. And then I'll be done. I can still have uh, two hours for my kids. I can slide the scale a little here, but I try to give my kids as much time as possible to be around them because, again, that's the time that I need with them and they need their father. So that's what it's all about.
0: It sounds like you really have a really healthy division of everything. And I love that you are really confident and open about the times that work best for you to do interviews. I think that's a really healthy way to do it.
1: Now I'm going to go back to the boundaries thing. So, <laughs> so, so, real quick, real quick, real quick, I think. People need to understand boundaries. I get over a hundred requests a week, be on the show through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all these social mediums. I don't get back to you. Sorry. I just, because I don't think it, so. I like, if, and now I do reach out to people because I'm like, all right, if you just like my photo, I want to reach back out to you. Cause that means you, that means you're looking at what I'm doing, but I don't request to say, Hey, let me come on your show. <laughs> I'm not doing yeah. that. And, I have people, when is my episode coming out? Why hasn't it come out yet? And you're like, whoa, 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 like boundaries, you know? And these are things that I'm just like, no, I'm not. Like this weekend, I'll give you a prime example. I had so many people reach out to me last week. I'm preparing for AdFram. This is one of the biggest things of my career, of my stage of career. I'm not answering emails. I'm not responding to your messages. It's not being being rude. It's just I have something that's really important for me that I need to do, that I need to take care of. And it's pretty hard when people don't understand that. I said, I will ask her email before I answer a DM. Because in my mind, if you took time to go on your computer or your laptop or your cell phone, whatever you do, and to type in a couple of complete sentences <laughs> and say, I want to come on the show, that means you've gotten my attention now. That means you took time to think about what you want to do. Not just a lazy DM in my DM. That's lazy. If you are prideful of what you're doing and you're happy and you want to share your story, then be prideful to ask that request. Because guess what? If I go to WJZ, ABC, NBC, Fox, MWMR and send them a DM, hey, i have a cool. No, they want to really know what you're all about. What are you bringing to the table? What are you talking about? Help me understand what's going on. And that's what it's all about. So I actually have a team of friends that I send these requests to. And they look at these requests and say, yeah, or nay. It's five of them. Because we always can have, you know, a 3-2 vote either way. My vote's not involved in it. And then they come back and say, all right, what do you think? And I'm like, ah, you know, and they're like, nah, you know, you should, uh, it doesn't fit you right now. Hold up a little, a little bit later on. And that's it. Now I'm getting behind the scenes right there. It's just not me. It's other people who love the show, who have invested in the show, their time, their energy, help promote it, me. They're like, hey, we'll help you out, figure out this because you have a lot of people that want to be on the show.
0: Yeah. That's interesting to hear the behind the scenes. And how else would you sort through a hundred requests a week?
1: You don't, you just don't, you don't. Your time is your time. And you one of my themes is you never get time back. You want to share those memories. And like when I get off with you, I'm turning this computer off. I might have my cell phone in my hand. I'm not posting anymore. Episode came out. I'm done for the day. I'm done because I just want to be outside and just enjoy it, you know, and be with friends and family. And Enjoy the day, so I try. Those are the boundaries, and it, it gives you a good mental break. You know, a good mental break of everything, and helps you reset and figure out what you want to do and what where do we go next. So that's where I'm at.
0: So before Aaron and I talked, I asked him to share some of his. Not favorite episodes, but the episodes that he's done that have had the most impact on him. You know, maybe there was a conversation he still thinks about. or something that somebody said that really stuck with him. And Aaron's going to talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to interject here and share some of my favorite episodes because Aaron kind of goes back in his history to some of his earlier episodes. And the ones I'm going to mention are a little bit later. They came out more recently. So it'll give you a nice flavor for the variety of episodes that Aaron has come out with on No Picks After Dark over the last several years that he's had the podcast. The first one that comes to mind when I think about my favorite No Picks After Dark episodes is episode 178 with Ashish Alfred. He is the owner of Duck Duck Goose and No Way Rosé. I just thought he was really candid. And Aaron asked Ashish this question about why does the whole group need to be there at a restaurant before everyone can be seated, right? It's probably not a question I would have thought to ask. But Ashish gave a really great answer that gave some insight into everything that goes into running a restaurant and all the people you are accountable to as an owner and our role as guests in the restaurant and how we can support that. Let's see, when I think about all the episodes of Aarons that I've listened to, and I haven't, I haven't listened to all of them by any stretch because there are so many, but I've listened to a good number, this is the episode that really sticks with me. I enjoyed the Justin Fenton episode, episode 182. It's just endlessly fascinating to me to hear about people who work in journalism and media and how they do what they do. I really liked episode 108 with Laura Wexler and Jessica Henkin from the Stoop Storytelling Series. Episode 105 with Aaron Joseph and Ezra Allen, the owners of King Collective, which is a company that focuses on making handcrafted mixers. I thought Aaron had a really great question in this episode where he asked, he said, you know, you all had. Good jobs within the hospitality industry, and you left that to be entrepreneurs, and didn't that seem like a risk? So it's interesting to hear their answer. And even more recently, episode 185 with Unique Robinson and Kenneth Morrison talking about Pride Week in Baltimore. I think I say this on the episode, but I had no idea that there were so many great events associated with Pride. So it was really interesting to learn more about what goes on in Baltimore during Pride Week. Now let's hear what episodes have had the most impact on Aaron.
1: I always go back to. I had an episode with my mom. I couldn't tell you what episode number it is. It either came out 2019, October or November, National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And my mom and I, we told a story about my mom, how I was in college and she had breast cancer and I was my senior year of college and they wanted me to graduate and they didn't want me to have any distractions. So they purposely did not tell me that she had cancer all the way through my senior year of college because they wanted me to graduate from college. I, I think about that to this day. What sacrifices my mom, my, my mom made so I wouldn't know that she was very sick? That sticks with me. Another one during that same time period was with uh, a couple who talked about going through the adoption process in Baltimore City. So she admitted that she miscarriage twice. And it was gut wrenching to hear that. It was just really gut wrenching to hear that story. See, it was 2019, around October, November. There's some hard hitting episodes in there that people really just listen to because those are original ones and you just, those stick out a lot. Episode 084, that was with Rebecca Jones, a whistleblower in Florida, and she went against Ron DeSantis. She was on CNN almost every week, NBC, talking about how she made a data chart for COVID, and the state of Florida was reporting it incorrectly. And that was a really big episode. So that that was another big one that sticks out to me. Another one that that went viral, viral was Aaron and I have COVID, and it was a friend that I had just hung out with not even like two weeks ago. And she was one of the first people that I knew personally who had COVID. And this is right when COVID came out, like when it really was on the scene. And that episode went viral because people didn't know about that. That was in 2020, that episode. Recent episodes, I mean, I think they're too recent for me. So I kind of like still fresh, but those old ones really, really hit home to me because one was really opening myself up. So people can learn a lot more about me back then, about me and my mom, and then the one with like going through the adoption process. Uh, oh, another one was the new era of black podcasters. That was episode 90. That was a really good episode with other black podcasters in the industry. Here's a good one. The camera always is first. That's with Charm C. Table Simone. She's one of the biggest food bloggers in the city right now, and probably in Maryland. And I interviewed her before and she blew up. And that was in 2000, that was episode 79. And nobody really knew who she was that. But she knew who she was, but they didn't know she was. Another impactful one is episode 76 and 77, No Picture of dark Dark Roundtable, part one and two. And that was us sitting down talking about us after the George Floyd incident. So that was very, very powerful. Learning about how four different people were not that much different at all. We just come from different backgrounds. But we all want to achieve the same goal, you know? So that was really, really another good episode the episode I was talking about was episode 35 with my mom, starting a family episode 36, and then me talking about family and fatherhood 37. So there's some hard... So if people really want to know about me, if you go to that first season, you'll hear a lot more about me than anything.
0: So it sounds like the personal and emotional stories are a lot of the ones that stick with you. And your episodes are really in line with things that are happening currently in the news. You talked about George Floyd, about COVID. I just listened to an episode you did about Baltimore Pride. I had no idea there were so many events surrounding Pride in Baltimore. So it's really in line with kind of what's happening in current events.
1: Yeah. You know, my cousin, I love him to death, Demetrius. He lives in Arizona. He's just helped design a lot of my stuff. And when I plan this, I mean, this was strategic how I planned everything. People don't understand like you, to be successful, you need to lean on other people. You need other friends. You need other voices in the room that can say, hey, maybe this makes sense. Maybe you go this way. Maybe you go this route, and it gives a good thinking session. It can be like a 20-minute conversation, but it can change the way you see things. You may view it in one lens, but they can see in a different lens. And he said, if it's a holiday, you better do a holiday episode. If it's about Juneteenth, it better be about Juneteenth. If it's about July 4th, it better be episode about July 4th. That's what retail does. Why wouldn't I follow that? So those are the type of things I always look at, and I try to figure out how it makes sense and brand myself along with that. And that's just branding. You know, this is going to happen overnight. Again, a lot of podcasters in Baltimore are doing a great job. I love what they're doing. I listen to a lot more podcasts than people think. Like, I know a lot more about what people are talking about. Like, I remember listening to you a long time ago. You did a Zoe Candle episode. Yeah. And you did one with Kabucha. Tortuga Kabucha. And I remember those episodes about you. See, you what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a long time ago. I knew exactly who you were. I liked how you sounded. I thought... You were very well thought out, and I really like your episode. I like your pod. I was upset, kind of sad that you left, but I understood when you explained it. But you have a really good podcast, so just kudos to you.
0: Oh, thanks, Aaron. This is this is one of those moments, like the teenager listening to the, <laughs> to your episode in the car. I'm like, I'm gonna keep going. Aaron Dante listens to my show. <laughs> I listen
1: to your show. I listen to your show. Like you try to get people involved, and you know, I've been trying trying to do a Baltimore Podcast Festival to get it off the ground, but again. Like we talked about, your bandwidth can be only so much. I have a venue already ready. I have people who are like, when you're ready to go, let us know. Let's go. Videographer who will stream on YouTube, not even going to charge me because they're getting exposure. Let's do it. I still have the bandwidth for it. (laughs) You know, like. I
0: mean, something like that is hard to
1: plan. It's hard to plan, and you want to get the right mix of people there. You want to get people who can speak because here's the thing anybody can speak in front of a computer like you and I are speaking, but can they speak in front of the audience? whole different shebang that's a whole different thing and can you keep a conversation and entertain people so but yeah i listen to your show trust me i like it keep on doing what you're doing
0: oh thanks aaron well, I want to ask you about, whenever I listen to your episode, I notice a lot of times you mention you like to ask the harder questions on your show. You do it in a very friendly, conversational way. It never feels threatening. You really do it in the right way. I just want to give some examples of some things that you've asked that I thought have seemed like harder questions. And then I want to ask how you got to the point where you felt comfortable with that. So just recently, I was listening to the episode you did with, I think it was Laura Banke from the National Aquarium. And you mentioned that people tell you the aquarium is too expensive. And you asked her to talk about that cost and what goes into it. And I looked it up before we talked. And we have a membership to the aquarium. But a one-time visit is $40 per adult and $30 per kid. So I thought that was a really great, relevant question and a more difficult one to ask. And then another example from back in the archives, you did an episode with Kane Collective. I think it was episode 117. And all of them or some of them have worked in hospitality. They had great careers in hospitality. And you asked about the risk involved in leaving good careers like the ones they had for entrepreneurship. And did they worry about that? Were they scared of that? So it's one of those harder questions that people might be nervous to ask others because they're worried the person might be offended or whatever, but you do it so well. So if you could talk about how you prepare for your interviews and why it's important to you to ask more difficult questions and whether there was a learning curve? Did you have to get comfortable with that? Or was it pretty easy from the get-go?
1: You know, in the beginning, again, I'm driving blind. I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I'm just like, hey, I can do a conversation. I know how to do storytelling. I know how to do that. But what happens is you start growing. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier. There was a community of good friends, the friends that helped me review these things. They say, hey, how about you ask this question? How about you ask this question? And I can't take credit for me doing it all. It's just, these are the community of people that are around you. Or what I do is I have a newsletter that goes out and I send to people, hey, I'm about to interview so-and-so. What do you think about this? I was supposed to interview all the candidates for the governor. And I actually just did it this past weekend. And things happen. And I remember I reached out to all my people, the hardcore 100 listeners I call them. They critique me, which I love. And I tell them, Hey, give me the questions that you want to ask. Because then they feel like they're a part of this show now. They're invested in this show. You want people to feel like they're invested in this. And you're not by yourself. So it has worked out well. The hard questions, they're not even hard. It takes a while. But people need to know. Like the aquarium, that's the running thing. It's expensive. Why do I want to go? The other day, when I was talking to the politicians, I said, there's 30% of people who are undecided. How are you going to get these people? I'm undecided. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know who I want. I said, if I could get a combination of all you guys, it'd be great. That's just being frank with you. And then they laughed. They knew. And the funniest thing was, I'm not going to say what candid because I'm not going to give them their credit because they'll love the sound bites. But they, we did live for a lot of people out there. A lot of people were watching. And people walked up to me. Hey, hey how are you doing? And five people were like, we're undecided. We have no idea who we're voting. And the person looked at me and said, Aaron, we just talked about this. Aaron, thank you. For it was me telling the gospel, but they had to hear it from people. And here's the funny part. Mail-in voting has already started. I normally do mail-in voting. I don't even want to do it this year because I just don't know. And I have a lot of friends that are the same way. A lot of people listen. So those are questions you got to ask, tell these people and say, this is how I feel, you know? But just, you know, asking people like, why would you do this? What's your thought behind it? You know, Brandon Scott, I asked them the same couple of questions about crime. Why is crime? What's going on? These are questions that people want to know. And so I try to give people perspective of, You make your own decision. I'm not going to push you left, right, center, forward, whatever it may be. You make your own informed decision after you listen to my episode. You can go from there. I'm not going to push you anyway at all. It's your decision.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to those episodes because I'm undecided as well. So I can't wait to hear what comes out of those. So let's talk about sponsors. You have a number of sponsors. I think that is what podcasters, one of the things they strive for when they start their shows to get a little bit money back for it, for all the work that goes into it. How did you get your first sponsor? How did that come about? And did the number of downloads or listens that you have per episode, did that matter in the end?
1: You know, that is the biggest question of the day. something you just said, the downloads and all that stuff. My numbers are my numbers. Downloads are my Downloads. They're good, you know, but it's not about that. That's more for national. Like if you want a Pepsi or Coca-Cola or somebody wants to pay big money. For local markets, they know what they're looking for. To give you an example, let's go back to the beginning. I didn't know what I was going to do with sponsorships. Everybody wants money. Everybody wants money. But let me tell people, and this is my honest, Frank, and I tell this to everybody. When people say, Aaron, I want to start a podcast, I tell them don't do it. And you're like, what? <laughs> I tell them don't do it. Because it's, like you said earlier, it's a lot of work. You think it's all fun and games and like you can sit there and talk. Yes, you can record it right on your iPhone and talk. Yes, you can. But then if you are into it, then you're like, I need to upgrade my stuff. I need more. I got to upgrade my mics. I've my system. And then it gets costly. And a lot of that money you'll never get back. And I tell people that if you want to do it for fun and giggles, didn't do it. There's a free app for everything. You can do it. But if you really want to get into it. You got to really think about it. It's just like anything. It costs money. Going back to sponsorships. Sponsors look at your overall body of work. They look at who you are as a person. They look at what you're doing. Who you're talking to. What rooms are you in? They see where you're going. So I went Best of Baltimore for Baltimore Sun in 2020. And Baltimore Magazine in 2020. Now what significance does that make? It makes sense because everybody was not doing nothing. Everybody was home. Nobody was out in the streets. So... People had to listen. Towards the end of the year 2020, a group called Charm City Craft Mafia, which is really big in Baltimore craft scene, came up to me and said, We really like what you're doing. Can you help promote one of our events? And I remember I cried because I couldn't believe this organization that I knew, I know them, wanted me to be a part of that. And they were like, Can we come on the episode? We'll pay the this and this and that. Can you promote it? I had no idea what, how to do episodes like to promote. I didn't know a commercial. I didn't go to school for all this. But you have people who help you. And I think those people who helped me along the way. And they were like, this is how you want to do it. This is how you want to do it. And it was amazing. They were the first. A spinoff from them was a place called Fallon Studio Shop. That is in Northeast Baltimore. And then from that point on, Zeke's Coffee was like, we like what you're doing. Let's do something. Remember, this is all during the pandemic, folks. This is the middle of pandemic. And they're giving me money. And then Maggie's Farm came along. Then Remix Bar and Grill. Then fishnut came along. And then I had did some work with Visit Baltimore. The winner of that year was, it was like City Night in Annapolis. And they brought up one of my episodes with Fishnet. I'm in the room with all these people from Baltimore, from Annapolis. Like, we love Fishnet. Oh my God, this podcast is so cool. From that, I got another job with Visit Baltimore to do National and Travel Tourism Week. And I had to do four episodes back to back to back. And it was with the Maryland Zoo. It was with Jason Bass. It was with Wine Collective, a guy named Enrique. And then Frio Soul, they do Cajun, New Orleans-style food. They were a part of it. And it was a great experience working with everybody. People were all about, hey, we like working with you. You're very easy. You're turnkey. We don't have to stress about it. I remember I was having meetings with Visit Baltimore once a week on these episodes. They were the only company, out of all the visits around the United States, that did a podcast, and it got into a national magazine. How amazing is that? You get credit for doing something amazing that nobody else was doing around the podcast. The next year, at one of their networking seminars, they had podcasting on it for all hospitality and tourism industry. Isn't that wild? Then from there, Guinness Open Gate Brewery came along and they were like, hey, we want to partner with you on a couple episodes. We're doing an allyship. We're doing some beers. And guess what? We did it. We did it. And it was amazing doing a Guinness episode. And it was like working with Guinness. Like, Wow, this is an international brand. And I had a great time working with them. And then more people just came on. They're like, I had a sponsor from Austin, Texas. They have an online magazine for open like, essays. And a lot of, a couple of people are from Baltimore. They called me like, we want to pay to sponsor you. Put our shows, our episodes on your show for three months straight. How amazing is that? Like, they found me. So these are the impacts that are making. And that's how these podcasts and that's how these things work out. I always tell people if they want to get a sponsorship is build a relationship with the people that you work with, build a relationship with these industries to build a relationship. You just don't go call a cold turkey and say, this is what I need. This is my money. No, you build relationships. And as people will see on my page, all my sponsors help pay for a step and repeat for the background. Yeah. Their names are there, but they were like, Hey, we want to show that we really want to be with you and we're here with you. And it's a beautiful thing.
0: So it sounds like a lot of your growth has been very organic, but also you're putting in the work with being consistent, with going out and meeting people, with treating your podcast like a business almost, being professional about it, upgrading to new equipment, thinking about you know what your social media is going to look like. You're putting in all that work, but the growth has come from that.
1: Yes, you're exactly right. It's organic. I say no to a lot of opportunities and people are like, you turned out money? Well, it doesn't fit. I view no picks as a brand and the brand doesn't like it. The brand doesn't fit the brand then I won't do it. You know, when you're dealing with Visit Baltimore's, the Guinness's, the United Ways, the Zeke's, there's something I'm working on in DC right now. They scour your Facebook. They scour all your social media. They want to know who they're going to give money to and who are you. And what I've learned is that social media is very tricky. Yeah, you say, well, I don't have as many followers. But then you're like, oh, you get 5,000 likes or you get 10,000 likes, but you don't get 10,000 downloads off this person that was on your show. So, you example, I have somebody who has 100,000 followers on social media, had them on the show. I didn't get 100,000 downloads. <laughs> I didn't get 10,000 downloads. You see what I'm saying? So, it's very skewed. So, people need to understand like just because they are hot, they're not that person. My most popular episodes are artists. They're artists. They're people who people don't know about. Smig Art, she was one of my episodes, blew up. It was like one of the top episodes. And she's an artist at the stained Glass. And then Sarah Smiggles. And it was a cool episode and no video. It was just straight audio. Because everybody's like, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. And I'm like, I don't have the bandwidth for this, folks. Like, I don't have, and like the videos are great, but now I might start pulling back the videos. I did a whole run of videos because I wanted to test what's hidden, what's sticking, what makes sense. If this is what people want to do. And I'm finding again, the audio is king or queen, whatever it may be, audio blows it away. So, you know, you go back to it and you're like, maybe this may be not be the way I wanna go. So these are decisions that I go through in my mind. Like I'll think about it probably today, even though I'm all like, yeah, I don't know if I really wanna do video anymore. Cause video costs money. So I'm losing money. You gotta look at everything. People are like, you should keep with video, but no, you're not paying my bills. I have a studio now that I fully furnished somebody gotta pay that for the couch (laughs) somebody has to pay for the rent you know that money could go to somewhere else so till you walk in people's shoes you don't know but like with anything i think people they really like you they want to be with you
0: so is there anything that you wish you knew when you started your podcast you go back and think oh i wish i'd done that differently i wish i knew to do that
1: i wish i knew on business side things just like anything else like it's like being a recording artist an indie artist you gotta understand the business to tell you right now, I'm in a good, better space than I was. I have right now, I have a lawyer that looks over all my contracts.
0: <laughs> that makes sense though.
1: Yeah. I have a lot of contracts out here. When you're working with corporations, they have a lawyer that's going to give you a contract. You don't know how to read I don't know how to read it. I have a monthly payment of a lawyer or retainer, So it goes deeper than what people think it is because there's contracts that are thrown all the time. I don't know the language. I know what I want. You know, I have for the first time at the festival, I did a writer, everything I needed before I could sign on to it. Like an artist. Like I needed this. I need this. I need this before I was signed to do the project. Think about it. Like you're like a podcast that needs a writer. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're like, you're getting a lot of information. You know what? I will tell you, I don't do a lot of, I don't do a lot of interviews.
0: Well, I feel honored that you came on for sure.
1: I requested to come on.
0: I know. You're my first request. The first person who has ever requested to come on my show. <laughs> I feel like I've reached a new
1: level. Whatever I always tell people, do what makes you happy. Don't look at the likes. Don't look at downloads. What makes you happy? Don't worry about all that. What makes you happy? What makes you thrive? That's what you should worry about. Everything else will come. It will come. I mean, now I'm in the place where somebody asked me the other day, are you having meetings with the decision makers? Or are you having meetings with the people who are blocking the door, decision makers? I'm having meetings with the decision makers now. The People who are like, we make the yes or no decision. And that's a good feeling. That's a great feeling now. A couple years ago, no, I couldn't get a response. And now if I do, the response comes out pretty quick. It's the hard work that pays off doing it. You know, I don't beg people to come on my show. I know I say, Hey, do you want to come on? If You say no. Cool. Yeah, that's good. Then you come back a year later. I wish I could have been on your show. No, I'm good. <laughs> that's how I look at things. You know, like, you know, you got to start somewhere. I have episodes. I'm supposed, I'm supposed to go to LA this year to do a really, really cool episode with a big time writer movie movie producer that everybody knows and he's like hey come on out let's do it let's make it happen so those type of opportunities are there for me it's just can't quit your day job keep your keep your day job folks
0: (laughs) right right you have to make some hard decisions
1: i'm getting to that point i'm getting to that point so it's hard
0: Said so many valuable things in here going along with what you were just saying, which is, you know, I found you to be so encouraging of other podcasters. I've always felt your support for my show. I know you do that for lots of podcasters who are out there. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about why you think it's important to support other podcasters, particularly in Baltimore. And I'd love it if you could also talk about the Charm City Media Collective, which is a group that you founded to support and encourage other podcasters.
1: So, you need support in this industry, you need help can't do a solo. What a lot of these corporations want is they want collectives. They want to see how many people collectively have. So if, for instance, if you are a podcaster and you're a collective of different podcasts, and say if you have 10 of them, you guys equal out to 50,000 downloads a month or something like that. They're more willing to take you on as a client than you want solo. And that's one thing that I've heard over and over and over again, that They're looking for collectives because it's kind of like, oh, well, pick and choose the ones out of there. But as a whole, everybody will get to something like that. So I've heard that many times of collectives. You try to encourage people. I mean, I had 10 people at the festival who were like, I'm starting a podcast. Or I met a guy who was from South Carolina, which is so random. And he's like, I want to do a podcast. I met a girl who was from Massachusetts at this festival. Hey, Aaron, you're the podcast person. I need to talk to you because people want to know. And that's why it was so important for us to do it at AFRAM because representation matters. And to see somebody look like me doing something in a space that is just unique and different, people look up to that. And they're like, how can we join? How can we help out? And, you know, I'm still trying to find my way on this. You know, I'm not, I don't know the answers. I don't know, you know, and there are people who have bigger episodes. I'm fortunate if I can reach out to people like the presence of DCP Entertainment, present entertainment people where they can say, hey, they'll take my call and talk to me about it because like, they know who I am already. I had a good relationship with president of WWIPR, you know, LaFontaine, Le- Oliver, great guy, gave me advice on things. So you have those people who they know who you are and they're willing to help out and wherever you want, you know, they'll answer that phone call. And that's what it's all about. You know, I mean, I was just talking to Pamela Wood from the banner, just defending from the banner, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, we love your show. We just met. That's amazing when people hear it. So how can you grow? You try to encourage other podcasters, encourage people, come out. I have festival. I have people that would love to from Baltimore. I have people from New York. I have people from other places that would come and do this in a heartbeat because they want to be a part of something. The charity Collective, they go to that. Right now, we are still going, but we lost a lot of people. We lost a lot of people when the pandemic subsided because we outside again. You know, people are back outside. They're doing things. So, and they still, and they still had amazing shows. So, we lost a lot of people. Just, this is just how things go. There are still some members on there. They're still going strong. Again, the bandwidth, it goes back to the bandwidth I was talking about. How much do you have? And on the co-founders, he left and went to a different collective, which good for him. You know, it is what it is, you know, and it's all about what you want to put into it. I have a website for that collective ready to go live any second if I run into. The infrastructure is there, but what we're trying to do going forward is let's get the right fits. Let's get the people who want to be doing this. Like, kind of like you said, consistency is key. When you do a podcast, consistency is key. When the sponsors are looking at you, they want to know, is your, are you consistent? Are you consistently put episodes out? Not just, I'm throwing 15 episodes and I'm hoping one slaps. No, you can't do that. You got to be consistent and be thorough and make sure it's a good interview. Make sure people are doing things the right way. So it's funny. I've been going back and forth. I have over 10 podcasters who want to be a part of the collective now. And I just don't have the time to sit down and do that. But it's still going strong and you'll see something coming very soon. Because again, during that month of July, August, I have time to really understand things. And that's why I'm taking that time off to really look at everything as a whole and say, all right, who wants to do it? My thing is I sit down, have coffee with you. That's my thing. And I sit down and figure out, does it make sense? So that's a little bit about the collective. And one thing I want to say is, podcasters, whatever you do, go into it as a game plan. Like kind of like this episode. This is freestyle, flowing. This is an amazing episode. You are hitting all the good questions. Have the questions lined up. Have them out there for the people so they go. I had somebody the other day who I wanted to do a collaboration with and they just sent me a media invite and I don't even, I've never met them, never, never Never spoken to them. I don't know anything about them. And I'm like, I'm not going to do an interview if I don't know anything about you. <laughs> I have a brand. Like I don't know who you, I don't know what you're going to... Like I've heard your episodes, but I don't know which angle are you coming from here. So learn your audience. Learn what you're going. Don't jump on everybody's episode. Don't jump on everybody's podcast. If it doesn't make sense, don't do it. I know people want exposure, but if it doesn't make sense, don't do it.
0: That's good advice. Finding the right fit. That's important on so many levels. So what's next for No Picks After Dark? You dropped a few things. You're going out to LA to interview someone who's going to be big. The episodes about the governor, the candidates for governor in Maryland patreon
1: when's that going to come out oh so there you so there you go i, I can't give you that i can't give no,
0: a... too much of an exclusive <laughs> yeah it
1: doesn't that that's a whole episode that's coming out i have an actual really cool episode coming out with that video with a special guest newscaster that's gonna actually it's gonna come out with all that. It's gonna be an episode it's gonna be like that's gonna be a cool one but i can't tell you when that's dropping but the infrastructure's already set and ready to go with videos and with interviews, stuff's already been talked about. But it's coming. The new season's going to start in September. The new season's going to be nothing but fire. I can tell you that right now. It's going to be fire. I mean, I'm excited about episode number one because it's unexpected. It's something that people will be like, how did he get this interview? And why didn't he ask a certain question? But sometimes you got to understand how the game works. So I'm excited for the episode. And the whole episode might be on Patreon. Actually, that's how crazy this episode is. It's, it's like it's like a crazy episode where you're gonna be like, "I have to listen to this."
0: Wow, Well, I'm intrigued. <laughs> like
1: this person's very controversial. Like when I mean controversial, very. And when I tell the backstory about it, then you'll be like, "How I got the interview?" You're gonna be like, "Wow." So that's that's a big one. I'm gonna have Easy Jackson, the rapper that's really bu- big in Baltimore, coming on. Lisa Snowden, her and I might be doing some stuff with Baltimore Beat, with podcasting, stuff like that for next season. There's a lot of collaborations from D.C. that you'll be seeing in, coming out in September. I'm expanding a little bit outside of Baltimore. Baltimore, I'm not forgetting about it. I'm not n- neglecting it. I'll be doing some more, a little bit more live shows out in Baltimore County. Some things I'm working on with them, out, some businesses out there I'm working on. And I'll be doing a little bit more D.C. stuff. And a new season starts September.
0: All right, so I really want to thank Aaron Dante from No Picks After Dark for talking with me on today's episode. We talked on what was a family day for him, so I really appreciate that he made time for this conversation. I always like to end these podcast episodes with a few takeaways, the things that are sticking with me from the episode at hand. And the first thing that sticks out to me from Aaron's episode is how he compartmentalizes his time. I think he has a really good model that could be an inspiration for anyone who is working on something like a side hustle, a part-time business, even a creative endeavor, just anything you're doing in addition to other commitments like full-time jobs, part-time jobs, parenting, etc. The way he divides his time is that he has times for his consultant work, his day job work. He has time for family in the evenings, and then he works on the podcast at night. And it sounds to me like he interviews people in the evening, which I thought was interesting. He sticks to his time frame, so he has boundaries as to when he does interviews, etc. So that having this No Picks After Dark podcast works within his life. So I think that's really good advice. Also, the fact that Aaron runs his podcast like a business. You will not see photos of his kids on his podcast Instagram page. He focuses on everything that is going on with the podcast there. And that's it. So I see a lot of people who have businesses talk about personal things and stories, which go away, you know, they're not permanent, and then they focus on their business on the grid, which is another interesting approach, but just this idea of thinking about the, the image that you're putting out there on, on social media and how it will impact your long-term goals. I think it's just something I'm thinking about after this conversation. And finally, the fact that Aaron's podcast evolved organically, I find to be really inspiring. He didn't start out with big plans of having his show grow like it has. He was telling great stories about his friends. And just by being consistent and committed and putting out great work, people started to notice and his show started to grow. And I think that should be comforting to hear how things can evolve organically just by being committed and showing up and sticking with your project. And even on top of that, the fact that Aaron had a moment when he was wondering if he should stick with his show. I think we all have this moment in podcasting. I'm sure many people have this moment in other endeavors. If you have a small business, you just hit a wall at a certain point And maybe you're not getting a lot of feedback on what you're doing. Maybe you're not making a lot of sales. Maybe you're not sure if you're growing as fast as you should be. Just a moment where you're not sure if you can or should keep going. And then Aaron got this message from a mom and her teenage daughter who stayed in their car to listen to his show. And that gave him the push he needed to keep going, just to know that people were listening. But I think the key takeaway here is that even Aaron, with all of his accomplishments, had that moment. So just... Knowing that it's common and that it's possible to push to the other side of it and to even accomplish big things on the other side of it, I think that's inspiring. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you again to Erin Dante so, so much. Next month, I'll have an episode with Michelle Dickinson, a life and business coach. I'm really looking forward to sharing that conversation. Thank you so much for listening today, truly. Have a wonderful day and I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today to We Built This Life. If you enjoyed the show or if you have constructive feedback, I would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also come say hi on Instagram. I'm at We Built This Life. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. Have an amazing day and I'll see you soon.